I'm like a barrel of Alberta bitumen. Someone please pay to take me away. Robbie. <laughs> and I'm still trying to unmask all the bull crap. I'm Deirdre Mitchell McLean. And this is the Political R&D Podcast. Hi again, Robbie. Hi, Deirdre. So today's episode is called You're So Vain, You Probably Think This Podcast Is About You. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know this podcast is about me. You even talk about me when I'm not on it. (laughs) And I did so well, too. (laughs) My shout outs. Um, So I guess where, where are we starting? Do we want to start... Right in Alberta, some of the biggest complaints that have been uh, aired, and this is, I mean, this isn't new. This started a couple of weeks ago when Jason Kenney returned from Ottawa and kind of decided that he would speak first during Dr. Hinshaw's health update. And it was it was basically just a, a recap of what he had done in Ottawa and what he had asked Uh, the feds to give to Alberta. And yesterday, Jason Kenney did his television address, which talked about modeling that no one had any information on. And there's a lot of very, well, uh, there's a lot of people who wish that the technical briefing, which is occurring today at noon, would have happened first. (laughs) Yeah, well, classic Jason Kenney, it's got to be about him. And the only modeling he's interested in is modeling himself. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. I'm very important. <laughs> oh, and oh, yeah, it's I don't know that first one. I was so grumpy. Yeah. Now, also because I was covering the I was covering the health update. Right. Yeah. All of my all of my information that I had ready in my article, ready to go, was based on the health update. Mm-hmm. I was not prepared to also cover the economic update. And so personally, you know, it kind of screwed me up. There were people that were also just mad because they tuned in specifically to hear Dr. Hinshaw and got Jason Kenney instead. Yeah, well, I think when you look at the other provinces, for the most part, the health update the public health piece is done as a separate conference and then you've got the ministerial or um, premiers doing their updates and focusing on the policy economy and they're kind of separate and admittedly i'll you know acknowledge my bias here i'm not a jason kenny supporter (laughs) never have been probably never will be but you know, Dr. Hinshaw establishes this relationship with her skillful communication and thoughtful and empathetic, uh, I guess, storytelling, maybe Mm -hmm. is a good way to put it. And, you know, people are basically calling her a rock star celebrity. That's right. (laughs) And I mean, like, Ontario newspapers are writing about what a 
you know, calming force she's been. <laughs> and Jason Kenny steps in and briefings that were happening like clockwork at 3.30 every day all of a sudden are happening at 4, 4.30, 4.45. And yeah. I find it really funny that ever since then, any of the briefings that include any of the ministers or the premier never start on time, which, fair enough, they're busy people, but <laughs> so is Dr. Hinshaw. <laughs> and uh, every briefing that she does starts on time, moves very smoothly, uh, and it, it just, um, the politics coming into that venue in that setting, um, to me, it looks like and feels like they're trying to capitalize on her quote-unquote celebrity and her good good faith and goodwill with uh, the general population. Um, yeah. And it it's a stark contrast from the approach that the other premiers and provinces have been taking, for sure. Mm-hmm. And it is, I mean, it's unfortunate to see, and I realized Oh, you know what? I can't even say that. I would like to think that there are people tuning in to Dr. Hinshaw's health update that are also concerned about the economy, but those people will show up to hear Jason Kenney talk about it. Yeah. Right? Like this is, I, I, I don't really think that, that he is, um, that he's reaching out to a different base than he would have on his own. Mm-hmm. So well, I think that's what's bothering me. The other thing, and I think that, you know, playing devil's advocate, and I do think our premier is not the devil, but pretty close, um, <laughs> is that there's a limited capacity or bandwidth for people to pay attention. And, you know, even with his address yesterday, they canceled Dr. Hinshaw's um, briefing because the media only has so much bandwidth and time. The general populace is being bombarded by messaging around COVID. And so I think that in some ways less is more. So having just one press conference that the, um, that the media can attend, ask their questions, get their stories filed, et cetera, et cetera, versus trying to do two. Being overly generous, I think that there is some merit to that. Uh, <laughs> But it, it seems like you're really stretching there, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I can't go in exercise, so I got to work on my stretch. Because, <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like, we are, um, so for those of us that are covering these things for media, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter how many press conferences they have a day, we'll be there. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's not optional. And the... Like, yeah, I just, uh, I just don't think that, I don't think that that is something, I mean, do you remember, actually, do you remember when, uh, when Kenny was first elected, or sorry, when they first formed government, and people were complaining about uh, the speed with which they were moving, and that they weren't giving people time to actually digest anything. And he was like, now the media is complaining that we're doing too much. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like, he doesn't care. No, <laughs> he, he does doesn't. not care how many press conferences we have a day. <laughs> no, no. Like so. I said, being overly generous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that one. Um, 
but did you listen to the television address last night? Uh, I did. I I listened to all of it. Um, I think that it was probably one of Kenny's stronger speeches. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully you don't slap me on the PP for this one, but uh, you had said that perhaps it was his Churchill moment. I think that that was a stretch and overly generous. <laughs> but, um, no, no, I was asking if he was thinking that this was his Churchill moment. That I was think the, he thinks that his entire life is his Churchill <laughs> moment. So. Yes, okay, I would agree yeah. with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I think overall it was a solid speech. It was, uh, you know, a stark warning for the potential for this thing to go poorly. Um, I think he struck a lot of the right notes in terms of thanking first responders, um, thanking people who are kind of on the front lines fighting this. Uh, of course, um, like a dog with a bone, he had to blame the federal government. He had to blame Russia and uh, Saudi Arabia for Alberta's problems, which are wholly political choices. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, not to say that we wouldn't be in tough regardless of the ideology or the choices made but i think we've made a bad situation worse with some of the decisions that have been made over the course of their governorship um and uh so yeah i I think that i would say as far as my expectations it was a 10 out of 10 from jason kenny in reality it was probably about a six and a half out of 10 though okay okay i thought um you know, I thought it was a, a strong speech. One of the things that I do appreciate from the political psychology messaging point of view is how how his government or how how he himself has tried to um, tried to use the truth telling as as a strength um, when, because like in contrast to when Rachel Nolly was premier, like when she was, when she was saying, you know, our economy's not really in that bad of shape. Like I understand that, that, that some people are hurting and, and, and our industry is, but our industry itself wasn't really hurting. Um, But she struggled. And now I don't even know if, she struggled to reach the vast majority. It it opened up a lot of uh, area for critique, criticism. Um, the way that she, the way that she tried to let people know that it wasn't the, as bad as as mm. what some people were making it. Um, she was torched for that. Yeah. Right. Well, I think there's an <clears throat> element of relativism as well, right? And when it's like that quote that um, if all you've ever known is privilege, equality feels like oppression. Yes, yes. <laughs> right? And so when all you've ever known is, you know, gangbusters employment and... Um, Triple, or sorry, well, six-digit uh, income. Yeah, six-digit income on a grade 10 education. Of course, when you can't get a job at McDonald's, it feels like you're hard done by. Mm-hmm. And it, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of like the way that he, that he says things like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, now, and, and like I said, you know, I'm not really, 
I'm not saying that it was that it's a fair distinction, but I think that by him uh, putting that twist on it first, saying, you know, the information that I have is not good. Um, I, I think he's, I think he's at least reaching those individuals that had his back in the election. Yeah, and not to paint everybody with one brush, um, but if you look south of the border, it's certainly the people that are on the further right side of the spectrum that seem to be struggling with the public health advice and the gravity of the situation that faces them. And I think there isn't quite that same issue here, but there are still people who think that they're important enough that they can go out and congregate in large groups and just live life as normal. And the intent here is to ratchet up the amount of transparency and utilize fear as a means of motivating people to stay the fuck home. Right. <laughs> and, right. And so, you know, this is a this is an area where I think that I would criticize the federal government's response in that yes, the models are just that, they're models, they're predictions and they're prone to change. And I think Kenny did a good job of making that clear as did Doug Ford, um, that, you know, he here's the options. If you take option A and we live life as we normally have and we do nothing, here's how many people are gonna die. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the federal government has done a good job of making that case as to why they, why we need to stay home and how serious this is. Now, the federal government has relied more on saying, you know what, we, we've we taken these serious actions, we're doing everything we can to prevent it, and hey, look at those idiots in Spain and those idiots in China and those idiots in, well, not China, because we know they don't want to piss off China, but um, <laughs> the idiots in Spain and in Italy who didn't do this and look at the impact it's had on them. But I think for the sake of transparency and getting buy-in in the short to midterm, the federal government does need to release its models and say, you know what, if you guys don't do this, if you don't cooperate, you know, we can obviously rely on the Emergency Measures Act, but we know that people are going to set their hair on fire and claim that Trudeau's trying to seize power and become a dictator. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you don't stay home and follow our directions voluntarily, here's how many millions of people can potentially die. Yeah. And I think, so this came up in, uh, this came up in the podcast that I did with Kevin Milligan and Stephen Carter. It yep. also came up on the agree or disagree afternoon uh, lockdown happy hour. But I, I think that, like, I think that the federal government brings, they're not responsible for health. They're responsible for paying for it, but they're not actually responsible for uh, the policies or anything like that. So it seems to me that the feds, you know, when something needed to be done, they kind of gave this broad uh, directive to the provinces and said, you guys need to do something like this is the situation we're facing so act right mm -hmm. and each province chose their own time to do different things right so uh new brunswick was one of the first atlantic provinces to close down their schools and at the time there was one 
presumptive case in the whole four Atlantic provinces. Mm -hmm. So, like, I think, um, and so I kind of think that the directive was given that, that we need to start thinking about this, we need to start doing something, but it was left up to each province as, to me, most of the, uh, you know, government intervention people should be like, yep, that's how it's supposed to be. And because there's also, like, some of the cities were actually putting themselves into a state of emergency different than the provincial government. Um, actually, also a really interesting differentiation is how uh, Alberta changed the legislation to allow two levels of a state of emergency to exist at the same time. Mm -hmm. As they did that, BC removed all of the states of emergencies at the local level except Vancouver. They did exempt Vancouver and just made it, it's it's only a single provincial state of emergency that's going on. So I actually kind of thought that that was an interesting comparison because, yeah, Kenny was like, no, we're just going to change the legislation to allow both of these to exist at the same time. And and I thought that he, you know, was, was very... Um, I thought it was a good policy because like he said, you're on the ground, you know, you know what's best for your community. So if you need to enact other measures that we haven't, go right ahead. Yeah, but at the same time, the city of Calgary <laughs> had negotiated agreements with hotels to house people that needed it and they overruled that <laughs> and insisted on hurting them like cattle. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's that. Yeah. Um, Say one thing, do another. Very on brand. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, but but it was it was there was a sentiment there that suggested you know what's best. Yeah. Yeah. And so. yeah. Okay. But again, like you said, <laughs> I guess if you if you say one thing and do another, it the kudos kind of go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so. It's not black and white, and I, I've had this debate a little bit, and I think generally Kenny has done a moderately decent job through the response specifically to COVID. Yeah. Um, but, the, and I, I've got a blog piece that's going to go up today, um, and so you can find that at politicalrnd.ca. But the rest of the country and the rest of the provinces have essentially put politics on the back burner. But in Alberta, what they've done is they've actually taken this nice little distraction that's occurring around COVID and public health. Around a public health pandemic. And <laughs> have continued to plow, and in fact, I would argue, have accelerated some of the ideological changes that they've made. And so I contrast some of these responses in my blog piece, like, for example, despite assurances that there would be no cuts to education funding and that people weren't going to get laid off, they laid off 25,000-ish uh, educational assistants and support staff in one day. That's the biggest layoff by one employer in Canadian history, ever. In the midst of a pandemic where the Premier is imploring employers to keep their people on payroll. Yeah. And it's this thing that Kenny does, and 
you know, people say about Kenny that he likes to play like four dimensional chess. And what he's doing is he's transferring that liability to the federal government, which is going to run up their deficit. And you bet your ass in two years when this is over, he's going to be railing against the federal government's fiscal mismanagement. Of course. (laughs) And the deficits that they had to run up and pointing to himself and being like, oh, look, I did so much better job, right? Um, And uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of dissonance there. And then you look at Doug Ford in Ontario and journalists said, hey, in in Alberta, the government has laid off all these people because the schools are closed down. And Doug Ford goes, these people still have mortgages. They still have to put food on their table. I'm not going to be laying people off. These people need a paycheck. And that's my responsibility as premier. And that's the difference between a progressive conservative and this hellscape that we've created in Alberta. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he just, he can't, he's completely incapable of letting go of the politics and the partisan ideological decision-making and you like same thing with the changes to billing for doctors and the tearing up of radiologist contracts and stuff. And you've got doctors now that are saying like, we literally can't afford to pay our bills and cover our overhead if we're practicing in ERs now. So we're just going to withdraw our privileges from there. And it, it's, it just really is hard to fathom why in a public health crisis, you're trying to make changes to phys- physician compensation, nursing staffing, to resourcing for the healthcare. And you know what, these are important discussions that need to be had. And I believe that if there's an effort made in better times to negotiate in good faith and come to an agreement and work in partnership with the doctors that we can do some things that we need to do in order to make our healthcare system more sustainable. But the fact that they're doing it while everybody is focused on this pandemic is deplorable in my view. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it, it really can't get worse. Um, no, I, uh, I'm so sorry I said that because um, <laughs> <laughs> we know it's not true. Um, it's it has been in, an interesting uh, study and it is going to be um, this is this is my best quote ever that reactions and and policies and decisions that were made during this pandemic will be uh analyzed, scrutinized, and politicized for years, possibly centuries to come. And the reason that that came up was because someone had spent some time uh, going through kind of what was going on during uh, plagues Mm -hmm. throughout the centuries, right? And so I was was looking, I I was reading through this article and it was fascinating. It's like a 40 minute read, Um, (laughs) but it's huge. And, but it was so interesting because, well, we've never had a pandemic in my lifetime, like an actual uh, global pandemic. And so to, to look at the fact that we can look back into the 17th century and see what they were doing and what they did afterwards and things, it was, it made me realize again how historically significant what's going on right now really is and i'm starting to see more people spend time on you know what 
what does this look like after, even though we're not even really in the position, which actually that was another thing that came from Jason Kenney's speech, was we're starting to get our uh, our economic relaunch, relaunch the economy. I don't know. His uh, five-step plan is, yeah. you know, Spoiler he's starting alert, to talk about that. cash to oil and gas companies. <laughs> right. Oh, oh, that's, God, that's a whole other topic. Um, but, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, so <laughs> just in the, in the interest of journalistic integrity, you have had pandemics in your lifetime. Uh, we have HIV AIDS, um, which is a current ongoing pandemic. Uh, there have been as well, a couple of, uh, flus that, um, have been considered to be pandemic as well. And, uh, SARS was considered to be a pandemic as well. That's what I, like, I was thinking of that, but it's not, okay. HIV AIDS, absolutely. The that response is one and that severity of this one is really unprecedented in the last hundred years. Um, just yeah. because it, the death toll and the speed with which it's hit has been very intense. Um, but definitely HIV AIDS about yeah. 30, 30 and million. ongoing. Yes. And ongoing. Um, yeah. but yeah, there have been a few just, yes. Okay. Well, but this, this one is absolutely unprecedented in most of our lifetimes and the response and measures required to respond to it obviously have, um, been unprecedented so that's right and it's like I said it's kind of interesting to see some people start to ask what what does the recovery look like and mm -hmm. I think that is going to be I mean that's an interesting conversation to start now because well we're not there yet right yeah. it's it's like I would like to start having this conversation now because I think it's important to get that information out there and again back to something that Kevin Milligan said even if it's criticism um, getting you know these differences of opinion out there before the policies are made is important because you never know who might be picking up on that yep totally and I, I think that would actually be a really good topic for a podcast and maybe we can get, you know, Stephen or Kevin and Trevor and Blake or, you know, get a couple different economists yeah. on um, to talk about, you know, what could be some potential responses uh, that would help us to get back on track as quickly as possible. Looking at from the human side of things and, um, you know, making sure that the family unit and small businesses are doing well, but also looking at the balance sheet side of things and, um, and making sure that, uh, you know, at some point we are going to have to pay all this debt back. Right. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Actually my daughter, very prescient of her said, so my taxes are going to, you know, be helping pay for this. <laughs> I'm like, that's right. That's exactly how it works, sweetheart. Good job. Um, but yeah, so it's like, yeah, we're in, we're in interesting times. We are, we are a part of history. Uh, Paul Ferry, one of his uh, <laughs> amazing comments was being part of, or sorry, yeah, being part of history is exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've said this before, and I, I like to give him shout outs, but if you're not following Paul Ferry on Twitter, you really should. Um, yeah. His handle is at PauliSci, P-A-U-L-I-S-C-I. -I. Um, he's hysterical. He really oh, he has is. some 
some humdingers. Yeah, he and he also he also does um, he holds on to headlines and at year end he puts them all out for people to vote for the best headline of the year, which is a fantastic segue into a headline that I found the other day. And so this this headline, um, this came from Reuters, and it was Danes snap up sex toys after being told to stay home. So Robbie and I are going to do a, a fun thing so that we always end on a good note. And we're going to put in our quick quips afterwards. And uh, I guess we can vote and see who has the best one. But, you know, other people can. We welcome comments, of course. All right. <laughs> Robbie, do you want to start? Yeah. So uh, Dean snap up sex toys after being told to stay home. It's expected to be hard for everyone. <laughs> Danes snap up sex toys after being told to stay home. More to come. <laughs> Many more. <laughs> Danes snap up sex toys after being told to stay home. Go to your room and be a very, very good boy or girl. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Danes snap up sex toys after being told to stay home because no one wants to be saddled with extra time on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't time. <laughs> and Danes snap up sex toys after being told to stay home. Turns out public health predictions of hard breathing were 100% accurate. <laughs> and my last one is Danes snap up sex toys after being told to stay home. And now we know which countries are ramping up their productivity. <laughs> Reproductivity? <laughs> Reproductivity. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that that's a great place to end it and yeah. great to be back on the podcast again. All right. All right. We'll talk soon. again later. You can find political R&D podcasts, blogs, and our social media tags on our website at politicalrnd.ca. <laughs> Bye, Robbie. Bye, Deirdre. <laughs>